Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in uh, to our Sunday evening uh, video message. And uh, again, uh, appreciate you taking time out of your day to connect with us and to hear uh, God's Word being shared. And so, uh, if you have a Bible, I encourage you to open up to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9 is where we're going to be tonight. And uh, we are continuing our study through the book of Romans, and so uh, there may be some of you that are tuning in tonight that aren't able to normally be a part of our Sunday evening services, and so maybe you're not sure what we've been doing and where we are. Um, for time's sake, uh, I'm not going to be able to go through everything we've covered, but we are uh, nine chapters in, and actually tonight we'll be kind of finishing up chapter nine of Romans, and uh, to our study on the book of Romans, we started this last September, um, and so we've been going for quite some time through the book of Romans, and uh, exciting to see what God is doing and how he's communicating his truth to us through this amazing book that has really shaped church history and uh, really impacted so many for the cause of Christ. Uh, the words of Paul under the direct inspiration of the Holy Spirit is amazing to see how God has shaped and changed individuals and leaders and people in the church for his glory is amazing. So tonight what I want to do is we're going to jump into Romans chapter 9. We're going to be in verse 19. So Romans 9, verse 19. And uh, we're going to pick up kind of where we left off last week. So if you weren't here last Sunday night, um, we did, I believe, uh, I think it was this last Sunday, we recorded that audio uh, on the website. And so you should be able to access that. Uh, also, we're going to have a copy of the notes uh, attached to this video as we've done on our Wednesday night uh, video. Uh, so you'll be able to kind of follow along on the notes there as well. And if you've missed any of our Romans study, uh, every chapter we give a basic outline of the chapter. And so you'll be able to follow along. So if you've missed any of those uh, in chapters 1 through 9, uh, please make sure that you let me know. You can email me or Facebook me. Um, I can send you those attachments or uh, however you want to get those. And so I can get you those outlines at some point. So you can have those on file be able to go back and look over in your own notes to be able to continue to study God's Word uh, on your own. So we're going to jump right in. Uh, let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll, we'll jump into Romans chapter 9. Father, we, we thank you so much for today. And Father, I pray that you would just uh, lead, guide, and direct in all that we do uh, together uh, tonight, Lord. We pray that you would be uh, just glorified in what is said. I pray you'd open up your, your Word to us, Lord, that we would just be open and attentive to what you have for us. Father, thank you for technology that allows us to be able to communicate your truth this way. And I pray, Father, for our church family, that you would just bless them and be with them as we're unable to gather physically together. But I pray that we would continue to gather together spiritually. And so, Lord, thank you for all that you're doing. And thank you for the way in which you're working, leading, and guiding. Uh, pray, Father, you would just bless in a mighty, mighty way. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Romans chapter 9, you're probably there already. Um, there's a lot in this chapter we already covered, but I will say this too, that in church history and among believers, uh, great men and women of, of God, uh, there are some debates, some, there's some different opinions on what Romans 9 is, is speaking to and referring to. And so uh, while I'm going to kind of share with you with what I believe our church would uh, say this chapter is communicating what I believe personally um, it's communicating. I, I do understand that as you're watching this, there may be some differences of opinions uh, on this chapter or even on the specific passage uh, we're going to be looking at tonight. If that's the case, um, that's obviously fine. Uh, the one thing I would suggest is um, if we do have a difference of opinion on some of these things, that we would come to agreement on one key truth, that 
that Jesus Christ is the only way into salvation, that it's by putting one's faith and trust in the gospel, in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that we find eternal life and the forgiveness of sins. That we've all sinned before God. We're all accountable to, our, to God for our sin. We're all responsible to choose Christ for ourselves so that we might be saved. And so I pray that we're in agreement on that moving forward. And again, I'd love to hear from you if you have a different opinion or a different perspective on this chapter. Um, I know that there are some that have varying views on this. And so I'm going to kind of communicate with you what I see happening here based in the greater context of the book of Romans. Um, and let me say that as well. Romans 9 uh, does not stand apart from the rest of the book. Uh, we have to work our way through the book and, and go through chapter by chapter, verse by verse, so that when we get to Romans 9, we have a clear understanding of what God is communicating to his church. And so uh, I encourage you to do that. If you've not been a part of the study, uh, start in Romans 1.1 1, 1, and look at how Paul builds this case for Christ throughout the whole book. And so addressing many things along the way that kind of are culminating and coming together in Romans 9. Um, so I encourage you to do that so you have a better maybe understanding of what's going on in Romans Nine, And so we've kind of covered the first uh, half, a little more than half of the chapter. So we're going to jump into uh, chapter 9 and verse 19. So if you would, uh, let's look at God's word together. Thou wilt say then unto me, why doth he yet find fault? For who hath resisted his will? Nay, but O man, who art thou that thou repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, why hast thou made me thus? Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering or patience the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? We're going to talk about that word fitted in the original language in just a moment. And that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had afore prepared unto his glory. Uh, even us whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles, uh, has, as he saith also in Osi, I will call them my people, which were not my people, and her beloved, which was not beloved. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it is said unto them, You are not my people, there shall be they, and there shall they be called the children of the living God. Isaiah also cries concerning Israel, Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved. This is prophecy being spoken of here from Isaiah in the Old Testament. For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness, because a short work will the Lord make upon the earth. And as Isaiah said before, except the Lord of Sabbath had left us a seed, we had been as Sodom and had been made like unto Gomorrah. So a lot of things going on here. So I want to kind of break this down. We've talked about God's faithfulness. And tonight I want to talk about God's justice. And so verses 19 through 29, we see Paul addressing the justice of God, why God chooses to do this or that, and the response of humanity to God acting in such a way. And so uh, humanity, uh, at our core, uh, we really struggle with God not doing what we think he should do. Uh, when we see somebody live wickedly or do something wicked or commit a heinous crime or murder or something you know, really intense like that, we feel God should judge 
instantly. Like, you know, you gotta, you gotta punish that person, you gotta judge that person, and it should be instantaneous. And it's not fair when God doesn't seem to do that in our lives. And the reality is that when we commit sins and break God's law, uh, maybe sins that we would think are as big a sins as murder, but of course we know that all sin is sin. Um, the wages of sin is death. That word sin there is not one sin over another, it's all sin. And so when we understand that, uh, we, we tend to look at our own sin differently than the sins of others, right? So if somebody commits murder, we think, oh, that person should be judged, God should judge them, they're wicked, and all these things. When we commit sins, we don't want God to be an instant judge. We much rather prefer that God give us grace and mercy. Uh, we're fine with God giving us grace and mercy when we do something wrong and we sin, but when someone else does something wrong, well, why in the world is God not punishing them or judging them? And let me encourage you, we're not alone in this. Uh, read the book of Psalms. Read Habakkuk is a great example of this, where Habakkuk cries out to God, like, how long am I going to watch the righteous suffer and the wicked prosper? How many times in the book of Psalms do we see the psalmist cry out, why are the righteous suffering all these trials and things, and yet the wicked who hate you, God, they seem to be prospering and successful in the world today? And so when you see this back and forth, a lot of people, human beings really, we struggle with this idea of understanding God's justice. We think if he acts too harshly, we think he's harsh. If he acts not harsh enough, we think he's too lax. Um, some of us look at the, the sin in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3 and say, man, cursing a whole people because of one person deciding to eat some fruit seems a little hardcore, seems a little intense, God. I don't know if that's fair. Uh, but before we even get to that discussion, we have to ask ourselves, do we even understand what sin is? Do we understand God's standard is perfection, sinlessness? Um, I think when we start to question the harshness of God and his judgment on sinners, we really aren't understanding that sin is serious. And no matter what the sin is, uh, a violation of God's law is serious. And that's really what Romans has taught us in the first three chapters. Romans 1, the, the Gentiles, uh, those outside of the Jewish people group are uh, guilty before God in their sin. Romans 2, the Jews, those the, the people of God, uh, ultimately were still guilty before God in their sin because they were trusting in the, the work or the law, not by faith trusting in God. And then you get to Romans 3 and you find out the whole world is guilty before God. And then the rest of the book up until this point is explaining that righteousness, that justification does not come by works of righteousness that we do because they're actually works of sin. Justification, just as it was with Abraham, is for us today by faith. So then we move into explaining that, that, that God's really not changed this. That God has always been a God who says that salvation is by faith through grace. This is nothing new that God is instituting through the ministry of the Apostle Paul, which the Jews were accusing him of, of being a liar and a traitor and betraying the Jewish way and, and a blasphemer and all these things. Things the Apostle Paul said before he was converted as well, I'm sure. And so when you see this book unfold, we get here and we realize that, that people will say, well, wait a minute, why, God, why are you doing this? And why are you showing mercy to that group and not this group? And why, why do we have to do that, but they get to do that? And the reality is that no matter how you look at it, God is God. He is the creator. He is the authority. And we don't get to question him. Uh, really, at the end of the day, God is God and we are not. And so when you look at this idea of God's justice, we're going to break this down a little bit here, some keys we need to take away from this. Um, so many will say, uh, if there is a God, then why is there even suffering to begin with, right? I mean, we'll even start there. 
uh, if there's a God that's so loving and gracious and all of this, then why is there even suffering? Why is there even bad things happen? Why do, why do bad things, or why do bad people do bad things and get away with it, and good people are the ones being punished or, or judged, seemingly judged or condemned and all these things? The reality is that we are only seeing these things through a very temporal lens. We're only seeing it through our understanding. We're not seeing it from the understanding of God, understanding of who God is, and that every act will be, will be held accountable for that. And so those people that are living wicked lives, disconnected from God, uh, rejecting Christ, but seemingly successful in the world, seemingly have all their needs met, um, I, I'm not their judge. I'm not called to be their judge. God is their judge. Uh, just as I in Christ, uh, I've put my faith and trust in Christ. And the Bible seems to suggest not unto salvation because that's sealed and done with the cross. But the things I do for Christ, I'm going to be accountable for that. Uh, the words that I speak, I'll be accountable for that as a pastor and teacher. So, so when you see that there, I can't go to God and say, well, I, that's not fair. Uh, you need to do it my way. Uh, God is God. And, and he will be God in those moments. And we need to trust that God knows what he's doing, really, at the end of the day. Uh, the other thing from this passage that people kind of get really tied up in is this idea of um, if, if God is sovereign and in control, uh, then are we bound to merely be what he made us? Uh, if I'm just a sinner set for wrath, then I'm on that train and I can't get off of it. Uh, the train is moving and Nothing I do changes the course of the train. I can't get off the train. I can't make any different decisions. I'm just predetermined to be this sinner, and I'm under the wrath of God, and that's it. Um, I, don't, I don't believe that. I believe that God is, as First Peter says, God is wanting and desiring that all would come to repentance, that all would choose to receive Christ as he has initiated in our lives, allowing us the grace to hear the gospel and then respond and understand by the work of the Holy Spirit, we need a Savior. We, we need to turn from our sin. Um, now, there'll be those who don't. There'll be those who reject Christ and keep in their sin and don't want anything to do with God. But that's where God steps in and says, okay, then I'm going to hold you accountable for your decisions that you have made. And so in this back and forth passage, over the, I don't know, a couple thousand years of church history, we've seen this debated. Um, but I want to point out some key things that Paul does bring to our attention that I think makes it clear for us to understand some key uh, principles in this passage. Uh, the first thing I want to point out, and, and this is in your notes, is that we need to understand who we are. Uh, verses 19 to 21, as I already alluded to, uh, God is the potter and we are the clay. Uh, we are foolish to question his will. This is a reference to Isaiah 45, 9. And really, honestly, God is God. And I need to trust him as God and know that his will is best. And even though I don't understand it, um, I don't have to understand his will for it to be the best for my life or to, to trust in faith to let it play out in my life as I allow him to work in and through me. So um, I, don't, I don't need to understand his will to trust him as being the God that he is because um, I'll never understand his will. I'll never understand the things that he's doing in this world um, because I'm not God. And so as a lump of clay, and Romans 8 tells us that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. So because I'm in Christ, I'm in the love of Christ. I have no fear. I don't fear what comes next. Um, I trust that God is in control, and, and that's I'm okay with that. And that's where I think Scripture suggests that we need to make that choice to respond in faith to what God is doing in God's will in our lives. Uh, also, Paul points out that we need to understand that God has his purposes. God has his purposes. In Romans uh, 9, 22-24, we see here that God endured patiently right? The work of those that would not be godly. Um, an example of this would be Pharaoh. Uh, God never rejoiced in the actions of Pharaoh. In fact, 
he made it clear to Moses that he, quote, heard the cry of his people and responded by sending Moses. God's not in heaven going, okay, my purpose is that these things will play out, that, that the children of Israel will go through this time in Egypt and then I'll set them free. God's not in heaven going, man, I'm so joyful that they're being uh, persecuted, that they're being uh, tormented. I, I, be I believe God's father, God is a father and he loves and his heart broke for his people. Um, I don't believe God, when it says he endured that season, I think it means just that. He, he allowed Pharaoh to make those choices as he allows all of us to make choices today. But ultimately, even in the making of the choices, God is over that. And God orchestrated his purpose and plan in and through the lives of those people, even though those people weren't following after God. Uh, remember, the Bible is pretty clear on this. Yes, Pharaoh hardened his heart, but God hardened Pharaoh's heart. So there's a, there's a two-sided part to this. Um, only God is sovereign. So only God knows that when Pharaoh hardened his heart at this point in his life, that he would never change. So that's how Jesus can say in the New Testament, those who believe, or I'm sorry, those who believe not are condemned already because he knows their heart that when they stand in their unbelief today, they may leave, live for another 50 years, but God knows they're never going to repent. So therefore God can say today about that person, no, they're, they're already condemned. Now, that being said, does God still offer repentance? Of course he does. Um, he, he offers repentance to all of us. He offered it to Pharaoh. Uh, every time another plague came in, I believe that Pharaoh would have had a chance to respond. But however, Pharaoh, God knowing Pharaoh would not do that, allowed those things to play out. Uh, God merely, as he does with us, endured Pharaoh and in the reality gave him opportunities to repent. Uh, I mentioned the word fitted in verse 22. It's a key phrase. Um, the word actually means, in the original language, uh, one, or the idea rather, carries the idea of in the original language, one who has fitted himself for destruction. Uh, the idea is this, uh, all sinners are preparing themselves for judgment uh, because we choose to sin. So therefore we're fitting ourselves for destruction because of the choices we're making. In the same sense, those who are in Christ are fitted for joy and peace and eternity with him in heaven. And so this idea carries that idea of, again, I, I see it as a two-sided coin. God knows all things and allows things to take place, and he's over all things, and he is sovereign. But I believe he gives us this ability to choose. It's his gift to us to choose these things. And as we choose these things, we make choices that we are then held accountable for. God merely knows what those choices will be. But we don't, and we still need to make that choice. And then again, that's what we're held accountable for. Uh, but also, Paul lastly points out in this few verses here, we need to understand all of this was prophesied. All of this was prophesied. Verses 25 to 29, uh, Paul cites actually a couple Old Testament quotes in this section. I'll give them to you. They're in your notes. Uh, Hosea 1, 10, and Hosea 2, 23. Isaiah 1, 9, Isaiah 10, 22 to 23. Uh, the basic idea is that the Jews have known that only a remnant of Jews would actually be saved. It is the remnant of Jews and the believing Gentiles that are the called of God, those that have put their faith and trust in Christ. Remember, everything that's happening in the early church is a culmination of what God has been saying would happen in Genesis 3, that Christ would come, the Messiah would come, and the people of God would find salvation and redemption in Messiah. And Gentiles are now finding their place in that salvation as well. Real quick, let's look at... The last couple of verses here, Romans 9, 30 through 33. What shall we say then? That the Gentiles which followed not after righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith. 
But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. Wherefore, because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law, for they submitted at that stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. And so this is an amazing thing here. Uh, he's ending with the gospel, and he's, the gospel is offered to the Jews. Uh, the Jews are kind of in this paradox of, wait a minute, we as Jews follow the law, and we don't have righteousness, according to Paul. These Gentiles did not follow the law, but they have righteousness in Christ by faith. And so what's the difference here? How we approach the stumbling block or the foundation stone, depending on how you look at it, depending on who you are, of Jesus Christ. He, he's the catalyst. Uh, a Jewish person who's faithfully following the law is introduced to the gospel of Jesus Christ, finds salvation through Christ, now is set for, for eternity in heaven. A Jewish person living in the law is presented with the gospel, rejects Christ, believes that they will get to heaven by their own good works. They are not righteous. They are, they are, they are undone. They are in their sin. A Gentile person who has no relation to Jesus Christ, no relation to the, the law of God, is introduced to the gospel, puts their faith and trust in Christ. They are righteous. They are saved. And so again, it's this, the point is Jesus. And, and what do we do with Jesus Christ? Um, Paul references in this few verses Isaiah twenty-eight sixteen in regards to Christ being the foundation stone, which actually caused the Jews to stumble and fall. They fell over Christ instead of receiving him as the fulfillment of the prophecy that they themselves were looking forward to. So in this chapter, we see a mystery between divine sovereignty and human responsibility. Again, however, when we understand that all of humanity carries the responsibility of receiving or rejecting Christ, it becomes clear that we have a mission to make Christ known to all people everywhere. And so my encouragement to you tonight is that how are you making Christ known? How are you communicating Christ to your area of influence? How are you realizing that it's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but by grace through faith that we are saved? Thank you so much for tuning in tonight. We're going to go ahead and kind of draw this to a close right here. And again, I appreciate your time. Pray that God's word has been a blessing to you. Get into God's word this week. Keep praying for your, your community and your church family. God bless you guys. We'll see you soon. Have a great week.